Hi, I'm Todd Nathanson. Hi there. Sorry, that's the wrong one. That's the wrong song. I'm Lena Morgan. Watch out. You might get Song vs. Song, the podcast where we argue about songs back and forth. And this week, we are doing a good one. This is a good one. We are doing Talking Heads Burning Down the House versus Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer. Are you ready to soft rock? They're not soft rock. Uh, well, listen, I'm going to tell you, as my outset, I truly think that the growing adult contemporary movement is a big part of why these songs are successful. The growing adult? I don't, I don't know where you're coming with that. These are not, these are art pop new wave. There's something. Oh, so first of all, let's, let's be very real. The, Peter Gabriel's so is real white guy world music. It's great. And you were not wrong. I didn't say it was bad. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I think it came out like three or six months or something before Paul Simon's Graceland. And like, there's, did, a, vi- there's, a, cons- there's a vibe. Did you consider I, it? I, I, I considered Sledgehammer versus You You Can Call Me Al. On those I rounds. also, can, I, when you said this, I was like, oh, I don't know. This is tricky. It's tricky. Or was that the last one? God that was it. a pre- That was a different episode. All right. Sorry. No, I think that because these you can say that they're art pop and I don't think you're wrong. Um, but I think most people would say that. I think you're the first person who ever heard them call like soft rock or adult rock. They're absolutely listen, this especially um if you listen to the entirety of Peter Gabriel's so and especially if you're if you're going for In Your Eyes, In Your Eyes is an adult contemporary song. Come on. I mean it's a ballad. But it's it's, it's not. The, I, I I think it has to be a lot gloopier to be called an adult contemporary. I'll tell you what I I I will will leave it to the listeners to weigh in on this topic. I truly think that there's something of the mellower music that came of the 1980s that was originally popularized as easy listening in the 1960s that sort of makes and paves the way for the success of at least one of these two songs. But I don't think of either of these songs as being rockers on the album, on the album. Let's, let's say it like this. I picked these two songs because these are two of the great art rock new wave acts of their era and this is both of them at their most mainstream this is their biggest crossover hits for both of them for a while it was easily their biggest most defining hits i think that might not be true anymore sledgehammer maybe burning down the house definitely not the first talking head song you think of anymore i don't think no and i mean it was the only (sighs) one that actually trended in the united states billboard um, but yeah, I mean, speaking in tongues as an album, um, for the enormous success that it, it lent to them, it's certainly not considered to be their best album. I would say that the album that proceeds and the album that comes after are both albums that I think end up getting a little bit better rated. Whereas I think Peter Gabriel's So is still pretty highly rated and probably as far as the average listener, you know, the non diehard Peter Gabriel fan. So is still probably the album that they know best. I would say Speaking in Tongues has has grown a little in hindsight. 
Uh, certainly more than little creatures. I've never heard that one before. But I don't know. Like, remain, I, remain in light. I still feel is like is a pretty big like hit. If and is the top of like the greatest albums list of Rolling Stone. There, the the top Talking Heads album will always be Remain in Light. Probably Fear of Music before Speaking in Tongues. Also, but Speaking in Tongues as like a commercial piece, like it has a uh, girlfriend is better, and it has this must be the place. I like this must be the place. I think is another one that might have surpassed Burning Down the House at this point. And uh, because of uh, because of stop making sense, girlfriend is better is also way way up there in the the Talking Heads canon. So I think speaking in tongues it has has grown a bit. I don't know. Uh, unclear. I'm not sure if I would agree. Maybe it like it when the album came out, big hit. Then I think diminished and maybe is coming back around. I could get around with that. That's that is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Okay. Then we are, in fact, on the same page. But here's the big question, Todd. Which of these songs is better? You know, these were, I mean, both these songs were my introduction to both these artists. And I will love them forever. Having become more of a snob, you know, more cultured, let's say, these both these songs seem a tiny bit corny to me now. If I wanted uh, to listen to either of these artists, Sledgehammer and Burning Down the House would not be the first ones I went for. But which one, you know, I don't know which one I'd pick now because I was dead certain I was going to say Sledgehammer. And then I threw on Speaking in Tongues to refamiliarize myself with, you know, that era of Talking Heads. Honestly, that album's really good. It's a good record, but is it? But is burning down the house as a song individually? I, I mean, it outside of the record, better than Sledgehammer. Well, girlfriend is better than Sledgehammer, but there, I listen. <laughs> there are a great many songs by the Talking Heads that I will put above Sledgehammer. Is burning down the house one of them? No. I'm I'm still going with Sledgehammer, but like re actually listening to Burning Down the House for the first time, like with ears on, I was like, man, this song kicks ass. So I'm, man, I, I think I'm going with Sledgehammer, but it's hard. So I have a I have a I have a answer that is a non-answer. Get get oh, ready. I One forced myself to have to an answer here. God damn it! But uh, all right. So my answer is, if we're talking album cut, Sledgehammer. If we're talking live version, Burning Down the House. Uh, Burning Down the House is, will burn down the house. (laughs) And the reason why is very simple. They had not finished much or maybe even any of the lyrics to burning down the house when they had written the music part of it. So when you listen to the track, it's a fade out on the ending. Whereas in the live version, where they know how the actual shape of the final version of the song is, they have all the lyrics, it doesn't fade out. It ends on them screaming all together, burning down the house. And it changes the entire tenor. The entire song is completely different just based on that alone. 
it's yeah. so tremendous. We got a lot of comments who wanted to know, it was like, hold on. Are you talking album or are you talking live? And for anyone who asked that question, the answer is up to you. You decide. Why do we have to walk you through it? <laughs> You're not very nice. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I think it's, it's very tricky because what does that tell you? It's kind of hard to answer because Sledgehammer, I've listened to live versions and they're good, but that was an album and that was, that was a song that was really, you know, I think perfected in the studio and sounds best in a studio, even though there are things that it sounds like they're doing multiple tracks. Like it sounds like they're doing multiple tracks of the bass, but it's actually just one. It, the reason you can tell that it's just one track is because it's, it's a, it's a fretless bass and they're using this like octave pedal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the reason why it sounds almost like there's two tracks overlaid, but it would be really impossible to get that sound right on a fretless bass when you're sliding up and down. It would just get this weird sort of like chorus, like it would just sound wrong. Um, you would never be able to get it quite so perfect as that. But despite that, I still find that listening to live versions of that song, there's just something missing in the translation. Whereas not just the, uh, the, the, the album cut, but also most notably the music video, which <laughs> was transformative, not just for Peter Gabriel, but for MTV as a network. And I, I kind of just think for like, like for music videos and, and, and music in general, I kind of think that this record and this song in particular is really like, it's transformative. So if that's the thing we're going for, like what's the one that changes music the most as a single song, I'd give it to Sledgehammer. If you're going, what's the most fun song if I'm at a concert hearing someone play it, it's burning down the house. For what it's worth, also, the uh, the music video for Burning Down the House, while not as transformative as Sledgehammer, it is also hilarious. It is also great in much the same way that the Sledgehammer video is great. Well, you know, the guy that did the um, the Sledgehammer music video had done a Talking Heads video before that. Right. That's where they found him. Which was that? Was it Wild Wildlife? Road to Nowhere. Road to Nah. I was so close. Where we know where we're going. That's a good song. The Talking uh, Heads listen, have lots of good songs. This is, I'm telling you, when I when I say that um, as far as album cuts are concerned, I take Sledgehammer. First of all, it's really close. And second of all, it's because, I, for me still, if you're saying, what's the, what is the Peter Gabriel song? It's Sledgehammer. What's the Talking Heads song? I don't once in a lifetime, probably, to be honest, I still think that's the that's probably the song that everybody knows them for more so than anything else. Like I said, when I first got into music, the talking head song was burning down the house. And that has definitely been supplanted. And and this must be the place might have like that one's really gaining in popularity also. Did you look? I think I think the apps, the actual most listened to. Talking Head song on Spotify is Psycho Killer. Yeah, I did not see that coming at all. I did. That song is so good. I mean, with the, many of their songs are so good. But that's, I mean, look, here's the thing. You can find 
There's video of them at CBGB's in like 1975 doing an acoustic set where they do Psycho Killer on whatever whatever cheapy thing it was that they were using to record that. If you, I don't know if you've ever been to CBGB's. It's not like, of course, it's great to be there as far as the energy of the space, but to capture a really good performance is, I think, a little bit tricky because it's so tight. It's a small, small joint, um, or was, I guess. But um, I watched the movie about CBGB's. That was terrible. <laughs> Well, CBGB's itself was, was was a pretty cool place, and 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 birthed a lot of a lot of bands, um, most notably the Ramones, but Talking Heads also. This was like one of the first big places for them, and you can find on on, on ye old internet at youtube.com, You can see the you can see video of, of Psycho Killer, um, them doing like an acoustic rendition of it, and it's sick. I, so I I'm t- not surprised. I'm not surprised that it's a, it still endures the way that it does. I tell you what, the one thing that was good about that CBGB's movie was that the guy they had playing David Byrne fucking killed it. Looked exactly like him. David it Byrne. It was like, was like a weird, awkward guy like David Byrne is in real life. I think that David Byrne is just like so universally beloved. I can name two people who don't love David Byrne. Yeah, but mo- mo- I would say the average person yes. really likes David really likes David Byrne. Um, and I think that that's also true of Paul Simon. And I would argue that um, somebody that that is maybe not as true, not, a, not to say that people hate him, but I'm not sure that like people are clamoring outside of music nerds who like prog rock and shit for Peter Gabriel at this point. You, re- you really think so? You think he's a uh, faded in, uh, in memory? I don't, I mean, people know who he is, but I don't, Maybe this is a household situation. Remember that I live in a household where I have a spouse who values Paul Simon above all. So perhaps mm-hmm. I'm I'm misattributing. I did not realize there was like a it was like a one or the other situation. Well, no, I, well, I was just I was kind of thinking about musicians that were doing kind of similar things at the time, and you know, again, I don't mean it to be insulting when I say that Peter Gabriel's soul includes some real white guy world music. It does. And the other guy that I think of immediately in the same breath is Paul Simon because of Graceland, that which also features a lot of white guy world music. Yeah, but you know, Paul Simon comes from a from a different point of view. He's he's still a folk singer basically, so now he's a folk singer with African music. And Peter Gabriel is a prog rocker, and he's making prog rock world music. I, I don't prefer know, Grace, like, Graceland. That's a completely different discussion for a different episode. Yes. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think of. Like David Byrne, just he can just show up places with his guitar and a and a, and a bitch in big suit, and people will celebrate. People get very excited. Saint Vincent is a big fan. Yeah, David Byrne has you know even though his band is you know hasn't existed in a good thirty years, you still see him in a lot of places. He had that big New York show, and he does yep. whatever art fucking thing he wants to do. Peter Gabriel. I mean, he peaked in 1986 with Sledgehammer, and then he decided, for the rest of my life, I will make music if and when I feel like it. And that has been very rare. He released his follow-up, I think, like seven years later. Yeah, it was like 92. 92, 93, something like that. And that also, I think what was kind of interesting about (laughs) that is, for all the weight, the lead single off of that is uh, awfully similar. To Sledgehammer. It's called Steam. And I, it's got a very similar vibe. I love Steam. 
so much. It's a great and, song. It's not an insult. I'm just saying. No, that, no, no, you no. Know, I love Steam because it is like, ju- like ninety nine, like ninety five percent as good as Sledgehammer, but also one hundred percent stupider. It sure is, boy. And speaking of music videos, <laughs> wow! If you've never seen that one. Give it a watch. There's watch. some real there's some real lawnmower man virtuosity stuff happening in that music video. All right. It is a bad attempt to recreate the magic of Sledgehammer, the video, which we haven't even talked about. But I mean, it's almost like too perfect to talk about. Yeah, well, it's been it's it, been talked to death, although I will say this, which is I remember being a little kid watching the VMAs. The 80s era VMAs, which were Christ, a were very you, different animal. We were like three? Well, like, what, this, was, what, this is what, 86, right? 86, 87, something like that. So I would have been either six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. And I remember him winning basically every award. No, there he, was, I know now in hindsight he was, uh, he was nominated for 10. He won nine. That's a lot. And he won. He won a bunch of Grammys. This was a big winner. And the music video was not a not a tiny fraction of that. It was a huge part of it. It was, uh, you know, it's still like the greatest video of all time. Like, is it like when they do those lists, it's either Thriller or it's Sledgehammer? Well, what's interesting is um, depending on who you ask, uh, for a long time, that people have insisted that it is in fact the most watched viewed, video, the most watched, the mo- the most times that they've played a music video was Sledgehammer, uh, and. I think Peter Gabriel, like he was like under like glass for like 16 hours or something as they did frame by frame the entire music video. And he was like, I hope somebody else tries to imitate our video. Good luck with that. (laughs) Um, I was like, this seems very, very, very intense. But I so we haven't really talked about uh, origin point for either of these songs. And I think that uh, if I had to pick one. Of them, I think that I think that uh, Peter Gabriel kind of has the more interesting story, I suppose, just because it involves, like you said, the fact that he has a tendency to wait however long he feels like waiting to make and then release an album. And he was very much in that frame of mind. He'd done, I think, four albums all called Peter Gabriel. Right. Uh, and the reason why, so he was in Genesis. For those who don't know, he was the original lead singer and co-founder of the prog rock band Genesis. And he'd had something happen with his baby daughter. And he was so busy that he missed it. And the kid could have died, basically. And so he took a, a long, hard look at his life and realized he hated the grind. And he wanted to be in his garden gardening and with his family and then make music when he felt like it. And so he did. And so he sort of amassed this following, like a cult following, I guess you'd say, um, with those first four albums that were all called Peter Gabriel that each got their own like fan names that became the accepted titles. I remember him saying he was like a little jealous of Phil Collins at this point, because at this point, Phil Collins and Genesis were both way bigger without him than they had been with him. And he was doing all right for himself. He had shocked the monkey and all that. 
You had Salisbury Hill. By the way, welcome back to the show, Peter Gabriel. Yes, welcome back. <laughs> going going up against uh, somebody new. Not not uh, Kate Bush this time. Although on this occasion, on uh, you know, we're talking about an album in which Kate Bush appears. Yeah. I feel like you, Peter Gabriel may have faded a bit, but like one needle drop on Stranger Things and he'll be right back in the conversation. Oh, that's very true. That's a good point. Um, anyway, so yes, the Phil Collins thing is a factor too. And this is a part of why I said that I think adult contemporary plays a hand in this. Because I'll tell you, you can say whatever you want, but Phil Collins found a lot of success on the adult contemporary uh, charting, like the charts for that. He did kind of prime the pump for a prog rock turned pop star. I mean, like that happened a weirdly lot in the eighties where all the prog rockers of the seventies became pop stars. Yes. Where it's having like big top 10 hits and shit like that. That just doesn't make any sense. But because they're not straight ahead rock and roll, oftentimes they would get described as, in some cases, world music, but adult, but like world music is kind of a part of adult contemporary because adult contemporary, you have to remember, like it sounds bad and it was used as an insult, just like easy listening was used as, as, as an insult, as a slight, but really that's, um, you know what that is, Todd? It's, it's, it's sexism and (laughs) I, to a lesser extent, ageism because adult contemporary just, but it specifically was like, 30s and 40s aged women that's what the market was that's what that's what adult contemporary is so fucking what if that's who if that's who you're grabbing it's weird that we think of that as somehow intrinsically bad there's a a lot of the the very like gooey ballads that are in that genre. But to me, the genre is, is bigger than that because that's not the only thing that middle-aged women are listening to. Believe it or not. Like, I still don't see it because I, I will admit like these are their most mainstream songs. But for me, this is like a different brand of, uh, not particularly reputable eighties music, which is, uh, white people trying to make the black music that they love from their childhoods. Well, uh, certainly Peter Peter Gabriel's whole thing was that he was thinking about like 60s soul like when he when he was making this track and the talking heads burning down the house is them trying to do uh P-funk trying to do George Clinton. Well, they yes, so funk is a, is a part of both of these songs. I think that's, you know, on the list of reasons why you probably put them against each other. I did. Um they both have got that element of funk. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's sort of interesting. Peter Gabriel has, I, I think, tried to speak to this a little bit about the um, what happens when a white person tries to get involved in this music and like what <coughs> qualifies as appropriation and what qualifies as influence. Sledgehammer is such a weird track. And I would say, I think it's important to note that he was actually getting artists and working with them from that time period. It's not like it's not like neither Peter Gabriel nor David Byrne were working with black artists. They were. Right. Um, and yet, because they had both come from such different places, um, Peter Gabriel, white, coming from this very proggy place and 
um, talking heads coming from this very sort of like noisy alt rock Brian Eno place. I think that from, you know, I mean, insofar as it's, it's to me to decide these things, they're creating music that is so fundamentally different. Like I don't listen to Sledgehammer and go, that's just a sixties soul song. And I don't I would, listen to I would, Burn, Burn I would, Down I would, the House. I would say very much that it is like, if you were to judge it as a 60s soul song or as like a tribute to it, it would be a dramatic failure because it doesn't yeah. sound like that at all. But you can, you get it. You're not confused when he, when he says I was, this is music I grew up with and it influenced the, the writing, the composition, and to some degree, the, the, some production elements of the song. You hear um, it, but you, you can, you can hear it. It's, it's sort of almost like sampling, except not, right? Because there are like specific moments, like certain, so like 60s Soul, what I think he was really picking up on was two things. One, the horns, the horn section. Ba-da-da-da-ba-da. And the harmonies of the background singers. Oh yeah, the gospel choir at the They'll end. Kick the habit. Like. Kick the habit. Yeah, like that stuff, and then to a lesser extent, the um, that that fretless bass, right? That thing that sort of sounds like an upright bass, I think, is plays a little bit of part uh, as far as the '60s soul influence is concerned. But but the way in which he repurposes all of those things is so reinvented that I I I, I if you want to make a counter argument and say no, it's appropriation, I'm not going to tell you no, not I to. Think, but to me, I don't think it is at all. No, like this is like a best case scenario. Like some white people doing soul, sometimes it just sucks. Sometimes like Holland Oates, it's, you know, it's, it's respectful. It's good. And then there's like Sledgehammer, which is like so wildly a field of what it's inspired by that it's just its own thing. And for that matter, the same with burning down the house. It's just, a, you know, David Byrne could not do like a straight funk song. The talking heads were just too jittery and weird. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the voice for it, really. Um, Neither of them do. No. Uh, Peter Gabriel is definitely no Otis Redding in the vocals department. No, he's not. He's not. But David Byrne in particular, like, there's something so, Raven was calling it demonstrative. And I said that he's like, he's just, he's like two ticks down from Fred Schneider. (laughs) Right? Yes. You might get what you're after. <laughs> like, it's right there. Burning down the house. The difference between Fred Schneider and David Byrne is Fred Schneider just seemed like he was having the time of his life. And David Byrne seems like a weird, awkward person trying to act like that and like doing like an obvious fake job of it. I mean, he, I se- he, he seems like an dead. alien he seems trying really, to he, live. He seems happy humans. now, doesn't he? Doesn't he seem like he's having fun now? He seems like a, a, I'm not saying he's like an unhappy person. I'm just saying that his performance style, he seems like an alien trying to fit in among humans. All right. Wait, what's your favorite Talking Heads song again? What's your number one? Oh, geez. I mean, uh, usually w- when people ask me that question, I'm going to default to like the consensus pick. Because, you know, which would at this point be once in a lifetime. It, but do you have a different one in your head? Because there's a specific song of theirs that I put as my number one favorite, and it's off their last album. From from the 90s? 
I think so. The the last the last actual Talking Heads record, the last the last one before they like split up. Oh, I think. Hold on, let me double check my let me check my math on this. If you have a different answer other I, than what you just said, I think my favorite Talking Heads song is either I think it's either Life During Wartime or or Cross-Eyed and Painless off of Remain in Light. Facts are simple and facts are late. Facts just twist the truth around. See, you're given. Yeah. I mean, you're that's a, some good answers here. But I, I, I might go with Once in a Lifetime also because who can fucking touch that song? No, I mean, it's a great. I mean, that's, <clears throat> that song is very memeable. And I think it's important to kind of keep in mind that. Um, yeah, I would uh, think of that. I think of that as being sort of like. If, if we're doing meme songs, like the songs that are just in, in, in the public culture, the zeitgeist. That's the one, and then In Your Eyes is the one for Peter Gabriel. Like, Sledgehammer is huge on its own, but, like, as far as memed, as far as, like, being a part of the public conversation, the the the, the John Cusack with the, with the boombox over the head really takes you to a really different place. Um, I feel like that song has become so ubiquitous. Not his best song, certainly, in, in my view, from that era, again... The, the closest he gets to an adult contemporary song because it is kind of ballady. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, my favorite song is off of Naked, which is 1988. Mm-hmm. And that song is called Nothing But Flowers. Wait, I know that one. That's it. That was like their last hit, wasn't it? Uh, it probably was. Yeah, that one's funky. I like that one. And um, I had forgotten about it. And then many, 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 many years ago, uh, Kevin Smith put out a movie called Clerks 2. Of course, that uh, and, the masterpiece, just as good as the original. <laughs> yeah, everybody really likes it when Randall Graves tries to take back a black slur, and then the uh, donkey show. I yes. was thinking about what, that. The what other a day. what a what a great. Anyway, I don't want to drag Kevin Smith, longtime listener of the program, as you as you know, I am from the state of New Jersey, and so I am full of infinite forgiveness for for our our our, our nerd boy made made good, uh, Kevin Smith. I do, I do love him, and there are things about Clerks too that I actually really like, and chief among them is its use of music because it um, opens with nothing but flowers and closes with um, misery by Soul Asylum. N- yeah, um, it's honestly it's like one of the best opening slash closing combinations of any movie I've ever seen in my life. It's so wild that the rest of the movie does not match. <laughs> <laughs> that bookend, which is so good. Anyway, nothing but flowers is, has this very like it's. I mean, it's 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 certainly a song for the now, right? Because it's 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 deeply apocalyptic, <laughs> um, but in a fun way. The world ended, but make it fun. Anyway, gosh, I'm trying to. So, do you want to talk about? Um, I'm trying to think where Peter to Gabriel's really penis? get off on a tangent. Absolutely. You want to? Oh yes. Well, <laughs> he certainly does. He certainly wants to talk about it. Because that is, yep, that is, I don't know how, we've been talking for half an hour and we haven't touched on the fact that Sledgehammer is, like, it's a real Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, The Hammer is My Penis. You know, um, back when I first got into this song, like in high school and in college, I I used to tell people, he's like, you know that song's about sex, right? And people's heads would just explode. Because, like, I don't know, something about this song just like read as nonsense to people, just pleasant 80s nonsense, like under pressure where you don't actually have to think about what any of it's about. 
I think by this point, it's like the first thing people say about this song. It's like, oh, yeah, it's about his penis. The hammer's his penis. Yes, he's uh, Captain Hammer. He is Captain Hammer. The um, steam has, like, definitely changed the way I see Sledgehammer. Because I only watched the steam video, like, last year or the last couple of years or something like that. Oh, wow. I actually remember, I remember steam coming out of my ears when I watched that video. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like it is so horny that video. It is it's, so horny and so is. middle-aged. And it's <laughs> it is such a middle-aged horny song and it's such a rip-off of Sledgehammer that it 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 changed the way I saw Sledgehammer. It was like it made it so infinitely dorky to me. Like not No, it didn't do that. It it's still a cool song to me, but like I can see that side of it now. Of like this, you know, this pasty British man trying to be like this sex god. Show me around your fruit cage. Oh, I can be your big dipper. Uh, can you? <laughs> can you? Yeah, I. It's interesting because you're talking about this stuff like it's really corny, but something that uh, what Raven and I were talking about these albums uh i brought up the fact that this was sort of an era of other artists kind of trying to get in on the action of what was happening with talking heads and peter gabriel and uh i would say like uh, the police and sting and um and other artists that were kind of that ilk right that like were finding mainstream success even though they were art pop, right? Even mm-hmm. though they were they were they were kind of coming from an artier place, and the album that I wound up talking about because I love talking about it now, ever since I discovered it, uh, is Paul McCartney's "Press to Play," the album that came out a year after he did "Say Say Say" with Michael Jackson. Well, a year after Michael Jackson bought out the Beatles catalog, <laughs> and 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 Paul McCartney had had a connection. And uh, didn't know what to do with himself. I love the videos of of the interviews of Paul talking about that because his Michael Jackson impression is so accurate and so mean. Oh yeah, every time I've I've watched every because he's you know Paul McCartney. Um, this is unrelated to this, but he's very good. He he he'll just tell the same story the same way a hundred times because he's a Beatle well, and he's take been your he's song. Yeah, I'll take <laughs> your songs. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, press to play is. Uh, Paul McCartney, who uh, anyone who knows me, I'm a big fan of his. Yes, in- including 80s Paul uh, and trying very hard to sort of grab at some of the art pop of the decade uh, and failing completely. And Raven brought up another uh, British artist who similarly, I mean, already was a pretty arty guy, but had a really bad album in the 80s that sort of threw him off kilter for a little while. Uh, the album is called Never Let Me Down, and the artist is David Bowie. Oh, that's his, like, I think he called that his sellout Phil Collins album. Kind of, yeah. And it's interesting, I bring that up because, uh, A, yes, like a lot of the artists were having an influence on other really big names, and B, Phil, uh, Phil Collins's popularity did prompt Peter Gabriel to say, take certain directions, I think, to an extent. And it also yielded people accusing uh, Peter Gabriel of, of selling out, of trying to kind of like ride the coattails of what 
Phil Collins was doing as far as more mainstream music is concerned. Phil Collins has made a lot of great music. And, uh, I, I, you know, I don't see it. I, I would never mistake a Peter Gabriel song for a Phil Collins song. I would never. I mean, agree. But I think that's one of those things where in the time period, because, you know, these two guys were the two lead singers of Genesis. It's a bit, it's a bit of a, uh, what are the team, team, team Edward versus, what is it? I don't know. What's the, what's the, what's the current version of that? I'm out of touch. I don't, I, oh, I don't know. What are are the kids versus Steve team? Jonathan. I don't know what they're shipping now. I, is that a stranger things thing? Yeah. Which is okay. And there's no, I knew what it was, but, oh my God. All right. Um, well, the point is that there are people who I think had strong feelings about one versus the other. I I'm not sure I agree. All right, here's a, here's one thing I want to get to before we forget about it. Yes. What song has the better fake out intro? Because I love the first five seconds of both these songs. They sound like the intros to completely different songs. Hmm. It's a good question. I don't know. Like every time I hear burning down the house, I feel like it's going to start a completely different song. I, I love the way it kicks in. Dun-dun, dun-dun, dun-dun. Although that horn line from sledgehammer is also pretty hard to deny. Oh, I, I don't know. I think I got to give it to the, to, to sledgehammer of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's killer, isn't it? It's really good. Um, by the way, I, I, I kind of like red rain. Um, I think that that's, that's another thing that's happening there is that um, I find the tracks surrounding Sledgehammer to be a little more instantly memorable. Oh, like that's, not, that's not true at all. But really, I, I really like Red Rain and, and Don't Give Up is the, the track that has uh, Kate Bush, Bush on, on it. it. Yeah. I would say there are like six all-timers on Peter Gabriel. They might have been the six singles. I'm not sure, but... I, you know, this, uh, so is a, a fucking killer album. It's very good. It's a very good record. Uh, but I definitely would not say Red Rain or Don't Give Up, as much as I love them, strike out, strike me as more memorable than Sledgehammer. Well, I didn't say that they, they were more. I think that it makes for a really nice trilogy. Mm-hmm. I think all three songs are good. And I think that you kind of have like the rising action of Red Rain to like this peak action of sledgehammer and then the sort of like slide down to the more ballady don't give up um that song by the way apparently uh saved the life of one sir elton john or kind of pulled him out of the 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 stupor that he was in oh you mean someone saved his life tonight how dare you (laughs) you're fired get a new podcast (laughs) All right, well, have fun. Welcome to hell. <laughs> You're in charge of this stupid podcast now. Oh, that's a great... Thank you for <laughs> saying that. Thanks for listening to our stupid podcast, everybody. <laughs> God damn it, Todd. Uh, um, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about... Because uh, we, we talked a lot about Peter Gabriel. Um, we have not talked as much. I think we, I think we as, talked quite a bit about Talking Heads. Or, excuse me, Talking Heads. The name of this band is Talking Heads. Not the talking heads. I get shit for that every time I get that wrong. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, then let's do the three questions or the four questions. Excuse me. All right. 
So we do this thing after we've rambled where we have these four questions that we ask that hopefully kind of firms things up, makes sense of the nonsense, the gibberish we've been talking. Question number one, one of these songs is going to stick around. The other one can disappear. It's like it never existed. Todd, for the culture, which song has to stay? That's Sledgehammer. That's easy. That's an easy one. Again, as much as it's great that Talking Heads had this one hit and it was burned down the house, I don't know. Like, wouldn't they still be pretty big? Yeah, I mean, they have... Was that even their biggest hit? I think, like... Uh, As far as Billboard stuff is concerned, like, in the moment, yes. I don't know, but they had other hits. And She Was was a, you know... Pretty big but hit, right? But like you're talking, one. but you're talking about stuff uh, outside of the U.S. Oh, oh no! I I thought that one ranked much higher. Weird. I thought I could have sworn they had uh, bigger hits than uh, "Burning Down no, the House" was, is the only United States like real hit for them. Hmm. Well, that is a surprise to me. But yeah. like, I yeah, I still think they would have probably been okay. And I mean, like Peter Gabriel would have been okay without Sledgehammer too, but her his the arc of his career is completely different, and the, also the world is completely different. Yeah, the music video really does make a. Uh, I, I think that plays a pretty big hand. Yeah, without uh, his hands turning into sledgehammers and pounding his clay head, like it just doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. The world is completely different. Who knows? MTV might not even exist anymore. Because it exists so much right now. Yeah, <laughs> so true. Thank, Well said, Todd. The music video uh, might not exist like it does right now. That still yeah. exists. Yes. The, the ridiculousness era of MTV would have just come <laughs> a little sooner. All right. Uh, question number two is a question of uh, history and sort of uh, um, the entire process. You can experience Soup to Nuts the entire creation of one and only one of these two songs. That includes the music video. Um, and anything else in the in the lead up or like sort of post celebration of each song, which is the one that you really would want to be the fly on the wall for? You know, the music video is going to probably push me to Sledgehammer, but I feel like I would get a lot watching them make Burning Down the House and putting it together because, you know, I've, I feel like the rest of the band of the Talking Heads of Talking Heads doesn't uh, get enough credit like and I'd like to see them work it out because like that rhythm section, they fucking killed uh, Chris France and Jerry Harrison and Tina Weymouth. They I'd like to see them put together. Also, the uh, the burning down the house video seems like it'd be fun to make. Also, lots of cool effects with the slides and all that. I wish I could be the there in like 83, 84 when they were out like on tour for this album. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, the, that being the stop said, making sense era. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think your point is well taken because uh, you know there I think David Byrne does a bit of that speaking in tongues sort of stuff when he's figuring out what what his lyrics are going to be mm-hmm. right. So I think that would be interesting to see, but it's really hard like to not want to be on the inside and witness um, you know Peter Gabriel take a farmhouse like he had like a it was like a barn right that he split into two sections. And then they were recording um, the entirety of so. And like there was this period where there was a lot of excitement. And then he started to get procrastinating. And there were people on his team that flipped out. 
and would make his life much harder in order to make him get back to work. And uh, that sounds tense, but I want to see it. Like, that must have been wild. Like, what must it have been like to be in the room as somebody just browbeat the shit out of Peter Gabriel to get him to knuckle down and do the job? Well, if you want drama, talking heads hate each other and they are never reuniting. I know, I know. And I've never, you know, I haven't really done a deep dive on that, so I don't really know who's to blame for what. Uh, But, like, they, like, Tina Weymouth and David Byrne just, like, at each other's throats all the time, which is so hard for me to imagine because like David Byrne does not seem like the big ego rock star type. He's like a weird, like I've heard many people say he's on the spectrum somewhere and I've never seen like, I've never heard of like drama like that. Mostly I've heard it was like from Oasis type people banging heads together and stuff like that. I would like to see how that breakup happened. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, what it wasn't happening yet. It was building. They only had like another five years left. I mean, they put out multiple albums after that one, though. So, yeah. Anyway. uh, All right. Question number three. A real weird but interesting one. Megan Thee Stallion. Getting up to a a night of hot girl shit. She's getting ready for it. She's going to put on a playlist to get ready for said night of hot girl shit. It's going to include one. And only one of these two songs, Todd, now and forever, which one of these two songs is hot girl shit? Wow. This is actually hard, isn't it? It's not easy. Sometimes this, this very stupid question is actually, is actually weirdly helpful. Usually I think this one's dumb. I'm glad we have it because it's mindless. But this is one where I think we shape reality with this one. <laughs> We really reshape the core, the course of human history when we choose this one. Like I said, Steam has reshaped the way I see Sledgehammer. I feel like Sledgehammer is not hot girl shit because it's too much middle-aged guy shit. A hot middle-aged guy, perhaps, but I feel like that is like too ultimately not hot girl shit. I think I would give that to Burning Down the House. I agree. Oh, I man. agree. 100%. Something about burning down the house. I don't know. I, I, it's because I don't think it's just that um, white guy world music is, is sort of feels weirdly antithesis to hot girl shit to me, but there is something about burning down the house. It's a particular kind of night of hot girl shit. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Um, it does seem like it's, it's got big house party vibes, but the kind of house party where it ends with you burning down that house, (laughs) it's real Megan, the stallion in, in a newer, less gross revenge of the nerds movie. I agree. I think, I think I would go with this one. All right. Question number four, the most important question, not just of this podcast, but the most important question in all of human creation. William Shatner, actor, equestrian, owner of a lonely heart. <laughs> That's a different prog rock band. He, uh, he's, he's, he's a singer, a performer of songs, for sure. And he's going to do a Shatner version of one and only one of these two songs. Ken, which one of these songs must be shot upon? Is this a question? It's Sledgehammer. 
<laughs> no disrespect to burning the house. I think he could do a, a, do some. I mean, the burning down the house Shatner version would not be that different from the Tom Jones version. Yes, and we already I, have I, that. I, I we want, don't need that. And once again, like the the concept of a B fifty two versions of this <laughs> that I'm into. Like, where's 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 the B fifty two versions of, of, of burn down the house that I would listen to for sure. But yes, I think you're right. Sledgehammer, it would re- he would really bring his own flavor. His own sick, disgusting, horny ninety-year-old flavor. Oh, show me round your fruit cage. Uh, please, please don't. Because I will be your honeybee. Uh, well, I, I, I can't even. I don't even want to think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's the right answer, but in the in the worst way possible. Uh, All right, my, I, I can definitely hear him doing that outro too. Been feeding the rhythm. I've been feeding the rhythm. Been coming through. Oh God, stop me! Stop. Okay, you should you should stop. I should but, stop. But Bill, if you're listening, man, please do please do a U version of Sledgehammer. It would it would really, I think it would have a lasting impact. You know, I, as as you talk constantly about how you're going to die soon. I think if you're looking to make one last really interesting mark, take one last big weird swing, do a U version of Sledgehammer. <laughs> I really believe in this. All right. I think we've gone on for long enough. Now it's time for the people who are not fools to weigh in. What are the listener comments, Todd? All right. Tyler Crone writes, I swear to God this just happened when I asked for my wife's opinion. Me... Sledgehammer or burning down the house? And her goes, Sledgehammer, I guess? I can outrun that. You know how I feel about house fires? No. Let me rephrase this. Peter Gabriel's sledgehammer or talking heads burning down the house. Oh, you seem like a nice couple, Tyler. That's deeply disturbing to me. (laughs) All right. If if you're not in therapy. (laughs) All right. Michael Martin writes, in the realm of white people doing insanely dorky versions of black music genres, Talking Heads are some of the dorkiest to ever do it, while Peter Gabriel is too cool for dork funk, but not cool enough to actually be cool. So I'm voting for the guy in the giant-ass suit. Or, excuse me, I think he meant suit. Giant-ass suit. Yes. Yes, Todd, he meant suit. I think that's true. He's not as dorky as the Talking Heads. But he's not as, as cool as... talking heads, you mean? Ugh! God damn Gotcha! All right. David Yurch writes, There's no way I can vote against a song that gave us a music video that imagines a drunken house party thrown by the Council of Krypton that banishes General Zod to the Phantom Zone in the first Superman. I think he's talking about the Talking Heads video, but not necessarily. I, I mean, I'm pretty confident. Okay. I could imagine that being dun, a description of the Sledgehammer video. Dun, dun, burning down the house. All right. Matt Colbreth writes, 365% burning down the house. <laughs> it's more than 100. Torak49 writes, the lyric I misheard for a long time applies here. Burning down the house wins by 365 to 3. That's not the lyric. No, it's not. <laughs> All right. Lazarus writes, 
As a fanfic writer, I am contractually obligated to vote for the patron saint of bad sex metaphors. Uh, Peter Gabriel, Gabriel invented fanfic, yes. Did he? No. I think I'm pretty sure that somebody in the pages of the Star Trek fanzine Spockanalia invent well, they invented <laughs> Slash. Anyway, there you go. I got my Star Trek in. Continue. Okay. Well we we you gotta get it in before the Shatner question or it doesn't really count. Oh <laughs> Nof four writes I want to give a serious, thoughtful critique of Sledgehammer, but all I can think of while watching the video is how many days it took to stop motion Peter Gabriel's head alone. As someone with ADHD, the thought of doing that is my personal hell. Okay, yeah, if you're an impatient or scattered-brained person, uh, stop motion animation is probably not the uh, the job for you. Yes, you, are, you will be neither Wallace nor Gromit. All right, Joan Waters writes... I love burning down the house. The Wiggles wish they had a synth line so wobbly. And Connor Rankin adds, David Byrne even dances like a wiggle. I've never seen the Wiggles dance, but I know that David Byrne does wiggle. He, he wiggles very well. <laughs> okay. All right. And finally, Bad Cap Bucky writes, Although burning down a house is the easier option of home demolition, it ultimately isn't good for the environment and could potentially spread uncontrollably, so the sledgehammer is my tool of choice for home wrecking. I do watch a lot of home Breno shows, so I appreciate your comment. Yes, do not uh, tear down a house by burning it. That's bad. All right. Although I would, I would <laughs> imagine somebody made a home Breno show where they were like, we bought this house. We're just going to have to break it down to studs. But instead of using a sledgehammer, we're going to set it on fire. They, they do, they're like, this is going to be great. And then the pilot episode, the wind kicks up and burns down an entire neighborhood instead. I wanted to put in one last one. Kevin Klein writes, I assume not that Kevin Klein, but Kevin Klein writes, alternate song matchup, In Your Eyes versus This Must Be The Place, alternate, alternate, Peter Gabriel's TED Talk versus David Burns's TED Talk. I have not listened to either of their TED Talks, but I have read David Burns' book, How Music Works, and it is fascinating. It turns out I didn't have a fucking clue how music worked. I can tell. Boom. <laughs> uh, it helped. All right. So speaking of boom, it is time to find out the results, I think. Are you ready? And like, I have no clue. I had no clue. Who was going to well, win just, this? I, I mean, I assume it's Sledgehammer, but I assume how it much? Would be pretty, pretty tight. I'm going to say 55-45. 55-45. All right. The actual winner. For a total of 470 to 530, that's 47% to 53%. We got exactly 1,000 votes. So for a 47-53 split... We are burning down that house. Wow. I was surprised too. That's amazing. I think that's the first real upset we've had. Like, I'd, I've never been this surprised. Like, I mean, it's, how much of an upset is it? It's not like I dislike that song. Yeah, me and neither. Again, but I, like, I, I do seem think to the me live that version makes was huge... the clear winner, and it was not. Nope. I mean, look, that live version makes a big difference. And, uh,. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when it, when the difference is three percent. Well, six percent, but well, 
But the point is, I'll stop making sense. Oh, good night. <laughs> Wait, no. What's the next episode? All right. Well, first we have to thank everyone. We have to do our thank yous. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> thank you, everyone, for watching us or listening to us. And if you like what you heard, you can donate a dollar to us and or whatever we. You can donate uh, to our Patreon, and you can get all our bonus episodes. Don't you love bonus episodes? Yes. I mean, you listen to this much of us. You could listen to more, I think. You could think, gosh, those two assholes are really pathetic. Here's a dollar. Right? Yeah. You could do that. And if you can't do that, just uh, leave us a nice note on uh, review sites or whatever, on Apple or wherever else you review podcasts, and say nice things about us and, you know, spread the word. Yeah, tell your friends about us and give us five stars. We're greedy and hungry and pathetic for five stars. Yes, we are. So, you ready? Ready yes. to find out what we're going to do? Here we go. Wow. We are going to do Nothing But a G Thing by Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg versus Gangsta's Paradise by Coolio, the late great. I have no idea how this one's going to go. I don't know. I mean, I have an answer, but I don't. Okay, I have. I I know what my answer to, to this is definitively, uh, unless of course I listen to these songs, two songs back to back and change my mind. But um, in this moment, I know which one I prefer. But that doesn't mean anything. Oh. Catch you later, folks. See you next time. Mm-hmm.